Hello and welcome to Just a Guy and his journey back to God. Apologies for this being a little bit late in the afternoon. Um, I went fishing today and uh, just got home. So I'm sorry about the, the tardiness of this, but there was a really good reason. There were fish that needed to be caught. So with that, let's go ahead and um, we're in <clears throat> John 8. And uh, before we get started, let's uh, go to God in prayer. Lord, Father, I just thank you for who you are and for all that you've done. I thank you for loving us and for being, being there for us, for taking care of us and blessing us. I thank you for the one who creates the oceans and creates the skies. And yet you created us and won a fellowship with us. Because you made us in your likeness, in your spirit. And you want a fellowship with us in your spirit. So, Father, today I pray that as we read, that we would think about you, what your message is to us in this time. And that our hearts and our minds and our spirits would be open to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, one of the challenges with getting up and going fishing is I don't really spend as much time in the morning praying and or just, you know, thinking about God. I'm too busy and wind up just kind of getting wrapped up in uh, thinking that I can go catch anything. And the result is, is <clears throat> throughout the day, my attitude is not necessarily the best. I allow little things to irritate me. And I allow little things to become major and minor things to become major. And it's just ridiculous. So I really need to work on starting every morning on my knees, regardless of what time it is or what's happening. And that's my biggest goal for this week is really to be on my knees every morning, praying to him and starting my day correctly. So in John 8, we're going to read a couple of commentaries or comments from um, A.W. Tozer regarding a couple of verses that he, he picks out. And I think they're pretty cool. But before we read those, let's go ahead and start reading the, verse, the chapter. We ended up where um, you know, there had been a lot of discussions back and forth, a number of the, the, uh, the apostles um, left him. There was a lot of unbelief of the Jewish leaders in Jesus. Nicodemus basically said, you know, who would, who, and you know, does our law condemn a man first without hearing, hearing of him and to find out what he had been doing wrong. Anyway, so long story short, everybody eventually went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, which is verse one, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and he didn't go home. He didn't have a home. Jesus slept on a mountain and in the open. Pretty significant contrast, if you think about it, between the people that he made and he's come to save. They're all going home, but Jesus doesn't have a home. He has a home. It's in heaven. And that's ultimately where ours is, too. So with that, let's go ahead and pick up at verse 2. At dawn, he, he appeared again. In the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, 
This woman was caught, caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Well, it also you know, condemned the man, but it's interesting how there wasn't a guy there. They didn't bring the man. They just brought the woman. And how'd they even catch her, right? I mean, it's like, do you really know if she was or wasn't? How'd they set that up? Anyways, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus strained up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. You wonder what he wrote. And I've sat in a number of sermons before where, you know, people talk about what he wrote. And was he writing down the names of other women that had been caught in adultery with or who had been, these men had committed adultery with? It's just really interesting how he sees everyone and he can see into everyone and he knows exactly what to say. We see this, we'll see this throughout this chapter. He really gets into and goads, not goads, but exposes the Jews for who they are, especially the Pharisees. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Where are you? Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not even valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. See, Jesus is what's so cool and what I have to get way better at. And in fact, it's going to be, be my goal for this week. It's going to be my focus for the week. Let me rephrase that. Is seeing people as Jesus sees them. Seeing them as the creator sees them. Not as I see them. Because I'm exceptionally good at finding fault. I'm really good at picking, nitpicking. And I'd probably be a really good Pharisee. Um, but, yeah, I really need to see people as Jesus does. I need to stop judging by human standards and pass judgment or judge people by godly standards, right? See them like he does. But if I do judge, in verse 16, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your Father? You do not know my, me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. Once more Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? 
But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. And that's the difference, right? Unless you have Christ in your life and you've, your spirit is really open to him, you will only see things from this point of view. And that's what, again, this journey is about. I told you that you would, be, you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can, we, how can you say that we shall be set free? Very truly I tell you, Jesus replied, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you that I am telling you what I have seen in the father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. So now they're, they're children of God. They went from being children of Abraham to now children of God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, but not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? What a challenge, right? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying you are Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. So they insult him by calling him a Samarian or a Samaritan and then demon possessed. Yet these are people who've also seen him feed 5,000 men, which is 15,000 approximately, uh, you know, total people who've seen him, you know, or heard about him walking on water, him walking amongst the, the sick and the lame and the, and the ill and healing them all. And yet... They want to call him demon-possessed because they just don't hear who he is. They don't understand that he is 
God and that he is the son of God, that he is down here to save. They just, they just don't see it. And partly probably because they don't want to. At this, they exclaimed, oh, wait, I'm sorry. I am not possessed by a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. This blew their mind. At this, they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will not never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet fifty years old, they said. And you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, if you remember when Moses was up on on uh, the mountain and he was talking to the bush, God was in the bush, and he said, who should I tell them sent me? Sent me? And God says, tell them, I am sent you. And here's Jesus Lots of people say and claim that Jesus never claimed truly to be God. But here he is. He's saying, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So there's some pretty interesting pieces of information, pretty interesting discussions there, I would say. And it's just so crazy on how all these people see his miracles and yet don't believe but it's the pharisees who don't want to believe and i understand that they want to just continue with their ways they're in power they want to stay there but so if i then if we then look at what aw tozer says he picks you know we're going to look at two verses the first one is verse 38 34 jesus jesus replied very truly i tell you everyone who sins is a save I'm sorry, is a slave to sin. And he writes, let no one imagine that he will lose anything of human dignity by the voluntary sellout of his all to his God. He does not by this, by this degrade himself as a man. Rather, he finds his place of high honor as one made in the image of his creator. His deep disgrace lay in his moral derangement, his unnatural usurpation of the place of God. His honor will, will be proved by restoring again that stolen throne and exalting God over all he finds his own highest honor upheld. So basically, sin is removing God from his throne and putting us on it because we're disobeying God. Therefore, we're not, we're not honoring him and worshiping him on the throne. Instead, we're placing ourselves, our will on it. Anyone who might... I'm sorry, it's been a long day on the walk. I'm tired. Anyone who might feel reluctant to surrender his will to the will of another should remember Jesus' word. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. We must, be of, we must of necessity be servant to someone, either to God or to sin. The sinner prides himself on his independence, completely overlooking the fact 
that he is the weak slave of the sins that rule his member. The man who surrenders to Christ exchanges a cruel slave driver for a kind and gentle master whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. Made as we were in the image of God, we scarcely find it strange to take again our God as our all. God was our original habitat, and our hearts cannot be, cannot but feel at home when they enter again that ancient and beautiful abode. So the reality is, is when we turn to God, we're putting him back where he belongs on his throne. Because we were made in his image, and fellowship, fellowship with him is really what is our natural state. When we sin, we're outside of our natural state. We're doing something that is, that is bad for us. It's not, it's not where we're the most comfortable. But when we obey him and we put him on his throne and we honor him and we live for him, we're exchanging that unnatural state for the natural and really what we were made for. And therefore, we have peace, joy, and har- harmony in our life. Lastly, Tozer talks about John eight fifty eight. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And Tozer writes, May the favor of our Lord, of the Lord our God, rest on us. Was there ever anything more beautiful than the story of Jesus' birth? Was there ever anything more beautiful than the picture of Jesus walking up and down among men in tenderness of humility, healing the sick and raising the dead, forgiving sinners and restoring poor fallen people back to society again? Is there anything more wonderful than his going out to the cross to die for those who were crucifying him? So think about it. How incredible is it that Jesus is walking amongst people in a humble way, healing all, restoring all, and then even dying for those who are crucifying him. It's an amazing situation when you think of it. Was there anything lovelier than to be the creator of his own mother? To have made the very body that gave him protection and bore him at last into the world? Was anything more awful and awesome and mysterious than that God-man walking among men saying, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Luke ten eighteen, And before Abraham was born, I am. John eight fifty six. He was the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. John 1.18 So when you think about all of this, that you're looking at Jesus went, when all the people were done listening, they went home, he went into the wilderness and slept on a mountain or on the mount. He didn't have a home, yet he created this world. He walked among us and healed us in a humble fashion. He didn't become the ruler of the world. He didn't lift himself up. Instead, he allowed himself to be lifted up on a cross to die for us. He did that in order to restore us out of our from being slaves to sin and restore us back to our natural state or our correct state, which is in re, a right relationship with God on a spiritual level. That's why Jesus is always talking about the spiritual, and man is always thinking about the physical. He did all of that knowing that he was going to be crucified. He did it so that we could all be and we could all fellowship with him and have life everlasting. Pretty amazing. So with that, I'm just going to close us with prayer. Father God, thank you for this day and thank you for your word. I thank you for 
loving us and caring about us. And I just pray that your, your, your words, your spirit would be our focus and that our hearts and our minds would be touched by you and guided by you. And may we come back to our natural state as servants to you and lift you back on your throne so we can honor and worship you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks a lot for joining me at Just a Guy and his journey back to God. Have a great day.